0: You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, the official podcast of FlashofSteel.com, and I am your host, Troy Goodfellow. With me today are freelance writer Tom Chick. Uh,
1: if anyone needs a coffee, let me know. I've wrangled Sylvia into shape, and uh, she's working more or less right now. So.
0: And Dr. Bruce Garrick.
1: Hey, um, I'm really excited to be on
2: today. I've been playing a game uh, for the last week. It's called Brutal Legend. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about that. Also a game called Demon Souls that I don't think is out in the U.S., but uh, I've been playing a lot of that game too. And uh, I think that's what we're going to talk about today, right? Brutal Legend and Demon Souls.
1: There are strategy aspects to both both of them. Brutal Legend actually has uh, strategic level controls and army management for the multiplayer, and I'm not making either of those up. Bruce is making up the fact that he's playing that. He doesn't even know what that is. But what I just said is not invented; is actually true. Really? Oh, there you go. Yeah, very true. Their multiplayer has strategic management and uh, and uh, strategic level gameplay and in army management. That's uh, that's the selling point for the multiplayer support. Of course, facts. for the name, name one celebrity who is involved besides Eric Wolpa. One celebrity involved, however peripherally, with Brutal Legends. Go. Jack Black. Whoa, you, my friend, no. have your finger on the pulse of contemporary pop culture. Very good.
2: I also want to tell you that, um, in, as far as Demon Souls go, I can tell you a little bit about, right. about that story. It's set in the kingdom of Boletaria. Um, King Alan the Twelfth was in search of power and prosperity, and he channeled the power of souls.
1: You're and reading this brought, off like Wikipedia.
2: That's really, I mean, doesn't make it any less true, does it? <laughs> First of all, what's the
1: name of this game? Demon Souls. Say that one more time. Demon, sorry, Demon's Souls. Ah, very good. I thought you might have been screwing that up. It is. It. it these are the souls of one demon. Apparently, it's Demon possessive apostrophe s. Right. Yes. Exactly. One. He has many.
2: It was one of those poly uh, poly soul uh, demons. Um, I that think are-
1: he he contains multitudes.
2: Yes. So. Um, I was actually – so the reason I know about that game is that uh, actually uh, two two of my friends um, were anxiously and excitedly talking about it, about the possibility of playing it and getting it from um, some Asian land where it's currently available. Um, But uh, neither one actually went ahead and did it. Uh, So
1: I thought I would – So you actually are serious about this. You actually have have heard people talk about Demon's Souls. You're not just like – making fun of something you read that maybe I wrote.
2: Well, I can make fun <laughs> of many things that you wrote, but um, this is something that Eric and Stefan were uh, discussing uh, in the ah, uh, okay. uh, okay. So I thought that would be fun to uh, get ahead of them and actually play the game, but I actually didn't. So
1: Now, you can import this apparently from, I think it's the Chinese version or the Korean version, I forget. which, But there is an importable version that has a fully functional uh, English option to, to play mm. it in English now Atlas uh, who as I'm sure you know Bruce imports many Asian uh, RPGs is mm. going to be releasing Demon's Souls for yes. the PS3 on I believe it's October 6th so Bruce you and I can start playing without importing the game on October 6th and there is multiplayer support so for instance oh we should do that then. It's a little weird, though. Like, let's say it's, it's an action RPG. Let's say I go out into the kingdom of, I think you said it was called Bulimia or whatever. Yes. I, I'm adventuring out in Bulimia, <laughs> and I see a little glowing dot on the ground, and I walk up to it, and it's a message that you left there, Bruce, saying, hey, when you come up to this area, look out, there's like a big red demon or something. I mean, it, so it's, it's a, a multiplayer to, like that. It's a way for you to spoil the game for your friends. Wow. I think it's something weird like that, like you leave each other little messages. I'm not really clear. I'll that's the that's that
2: the new face of social gaming, by the way.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope that uh, Soren Johnson and Brian Reynolds can incorporate that sort of thing into whatever they're working on. Yeah. Yes.
0: Well, we shouldn't be talking about action RPGs, at least not yet, because this is not the action RPG show.
1: Um, or brutal legend. We shouldn't talk about that either. So, Bruce, that's two demerits for you. Okay, we'll keep track of that. Okay.
0: He misses a month, and then he comes back, and he forgets what the show is about.
1: By the way, I just want to say we started off with a little radio head, uh, and there's a reason for that. I just wanted to point out uh, that last week I made some reference to – you guys said something about some golfer guy named Tom Watson or whatever. I don't know who this dude is. Let you guys know how my my brain works and how I'm not really at all funny. So someone says Tom Watson – I don't know what you guys are talking about. I know it's a sports thing. So the first thing I I riff on is the first famous Tom that I can think of, who is, of course, Tom York, the lead singer of Radiohead. I'm well aware that it's Tom York and not Tom Watson. So I think, hey, wouldn't it be funny if I pretended that I thought Tom Watson was the lead singer of Radiohead? Which... In fact, it's not funny. It's not funny at all, but I did it anyway, and now people think I don't know who the lead singer of Radiohead is. So I just I think, to I think
0: it's to your credit that the first famous Tom you thought of wasn't yourself.
1: Well, I'm not famous, so that's probably why. If I was famous, I'm sure I would have thought of myself.
0: Well, you're uh, internet
1: famous. I would have thought of Tom <laughs> Beringer, actually. Um, Tom Berenger, sniper. Yes, yeah. of course. I would
0: have thought, thought Thomas Paine, but... I'm a geek. Whoa, that, you're brainy.
2: You're a brainy little fella, Troy. Check out the brain on Troy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I did. So I got a lot of email, actually, about that, Tom, about your, uh, your thinking that Tom Watson was elite. They were like, you know, they didn't think you were, you thought you were more of like a gaming nerd, so they were just kind of emailing me to tell me about how they felt sorry for me that I had to do all that Tom versus Bruce to somebody who was, didn't even know who tom york was so
1: yeah and the thing is i've seen radiohead in concert like live several times multiple times and i don't i don't even go to live music i'm not one of those kind of guys but Mm -hmm. i like radiohead enough where i've seen them you know i saw them last fall at the hollywood bowl here in in town i love those guys
0: here we are so seven minutes in we should probably say what our topic is for this week and it is not uh tom's deep appreciation for radiohead Mm. this is a I have thought about quite a bit, and Tom uh, pitched it uh, in an email, so we should probably talk about. It. And it is something um, that, you know, as some of the who studied international relations and a lot of stuff in gaming and culture and that sort of stuff, this topic has occurred to me. Uh, and I haven't thought about it for the podcast, but Tom was right to suggest it. And the question is, you know, what is the link between strategy gaming and the wider world? More specifically, how has strategy gaming and the design of strategy games, popularity of strategy games, been affected by how conflict has changed through the years? Uh, war today, in the real world, is, bears no resemblance to what you'll see in any in most uh, in most strategy games, most war games. Um, so is there a connection here? I think that's what we're trying to get at in this topic. It's going to be a very free-ranging, free wide-ranging
1: conversation. So Tom, when you suggested this, what was going through your head? Well, a couple of things. Part of I really I, I thought it was pretty cool hearing Bruce a couple of podcasts ago talk about oh, I'm going to screw it up something like downtown alley or it, it was some board game about the air war over Vietnam. I believe. Oh, downtown. Yeah, oh, down. I did get it kind of right. Okay, I just yeah. threw in an extra word because you're thinking of MIG alley. Oh, good, good lord! Wow. Okay, so you know, think I am not as much of an idiot as I sometimes am. Uh, So, yes, there were two separate things I was conflating there. Uh, So, I remember Bruce talking about that, and then I remember sort of saying, well, isn't that a lot like uh, USAAF, that that game about the strategic bombing of of Europe, and Bruce saying, well, no, it's not, and here's a couple of reasons, and sort of thinking, you know, the changing face of warfare reflected in different game designs, Uh, and I'm also thinking about the conflict in Iraq. Uh, For instance, will this... Have any, in Vietnam specifically. I'm now reading the uh, Neil Sheehan's biography of Paul Van, uh, which is about the Vietnam conflict. So, as conflict changes, how do game designs change to reflect those things? Uh, you know, is there a good Vietnam, for instance, right. war game? Uh, and I, I don't know if there is. Will there be anything? You know, that that terrible combat mission. Uh, uh, that Battlefront oh recently so we,
2: made. We need to talk about that for a second, by the way, too, but we'll, well get because finish that, what you're saying.
1: Well, that's a well, c- l- 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 combat l- mission l- shot Because yeah. that, they were trying to model the as- asymmetrical warfare as it might be between the American forces and Syrians. Uh, you know, they, they posited a, a Syrian modern military, but then they also tried to model, like, uh, insurgents in Syria. And obviously they were inspired by Iraq, and it was a terrible design. Um, so that, that's the sort of thing that was going through my head when I threw that out because I know that Troy, you've thought about this and Bruce, you're a pretty clever fella you might have some insight into some of this stuff so there you go, that's what was going through my head
2: I want to hear more about why you're reading a biography of
1: <laughs> uh, Let's see, why am I reading Because it? was it was on sale at my local library for a quarter and I'd heard, uh, it's called A Bright Shining Lie, I believe yeah, I'd, I'd heard exactly, of it before yeah. You're reading a Bright and you, I picked it up for a bit There you go.
2: Do you get calls from Moscow, like weekly, telling you what books you need to read? <laughs>
1: uh, this, I needed a palate cleanser after reading this crappy science fiction novel, so this is my palate oh, cleanser. What, Ender's Game? Okay, anyway. Um, <laughs> sorry. Sorry, Julian, if you're out there. Um,
2: so I think Troy should really kind of get us started on this because I know he has a lot of uh, sort of thoughts that are probably much more well, I mean, well thought out than anything I'm saying. One
0: thing say. I have that I am interested in is the whole has how do we model counterinsurgency? We are entering a new really not a new era in war, in, in, in war because, you know, counterinsurgency warfare has been around for you know, at least 50 years. And you can even, I guess, go back to the guerrillas in Spain if you want to uh, take a very loose definition of it. But war games and strategy games have not done a very good job of modeling it. And probably that is because, um, with you know, with Vietnam, it was still – it was counterinsurgency but you could have all the bombing and you could do all this traditional war game stuff around it. In Iraq, you can't do that. In Afghanistan, you really can't do that.
2: Well, in Vietnam, remember, they were also fighting the North Vietnamese Army, which right. had traditional, I mean, like right. the Siege of Khe Sanh was a, was a traditional...
0: Uh, right. Absolutely. Military. And you can do D- D- Dien Ben Phu and you can do all this stuff in Indochina and right. say, well, I'm doing the Vietnam War and sort of, you know, work around the counterinsurgency stuff that was going on in a few places. Um, I'm actually kind of looking forward to uh, what Pat Proctor does next. Pat Proctor is uh, a soldier he has been in, I think, in Iraq and Afghanistan. He's the designer of the ProSim games, which Shrapnel publishes. Very, you know, deep uh, simulation-type games. And so far, they haven't done much with Counterinsurgency. And I'm kind of curious as to what uh, Mr. Proctor is going to be Doing next, since he will have certainly seen that live. And I'm wondering if that gives him a better angle on how to war game it, or if it just makes him more convinced you can't war game it. Uh, what would a counter insurgency strategy game, not even just war game, look like?
2: I mean, you can you can get, you can war game anything. I mean, it, it's been war game. I mean, the question is, can you war game it and Sell make it, it uh, something that people are going to want to play? Right. Uh, because the there's a great game. Oh, great game! I don't know if it's a great game. I've never actually completed a whole game of it. Uh, called Vietnam, nineteen sixty-five to nineteen seventy-five, uh, by Victory Games. Right. Really, a gr- lot of great ideas in that game. Uh, it's a board game, so it really doesn't sort of bear on our discussion, except that it does because they had to go through a whole bunch of. Um, they really had to have kind of two different game systems: one for the, you know, for the good guys, and one for the communists, and um, the problem with a board game, obviously, is that you can't uh, – What Tom, you, you actually brought up uh, Starship Troopers
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, a while back, and for the uh, for the bugs, you had to draw all those uh, tunnels and whatnot, uh, and then you sort of had your, your little setup, and then the uh, Starship Trooper guy couldn't see what you were doing, and then you could sort of come out and ambush people, and that's the same kind of thing um, – Unfortunately, in um, in uh, Vietnam, they had to use dummy counters. So you had all these things that could possibly be uh, VC, and then you would attack them, and they would turn out to not be actual VC; they would be, you know, dummies. Which I think is not that great a solution. But uh, the problem I think with with gaming the guerrilla type warfare is that there's not really much of a game to it. The, the, all this, all the guerrilla uh, play is on the setup right, because it's almost all ambush, and uh, you sort of set up your ambush, and if the guy with all the firepower trips it, then fantastic, and if he doesn't, then it's kind of game over, and even if he does trip it, you kill all the guys you can, and then you sort of have to hightail it out of town, so I don't think it really works very well uh, as a drawn-out game, which is why you have to sort of add the strategic element to keep it interesting.
1: Yeah, exactly, because it's not simply the, the military element of it. The actual conflict right. is only part of the picture there. Uh, there's so much more going on, and if you don't model that, uh, I mean, that's in a way the more interesting aspect of it.
0: Some sort of hearts and minds monitor?
1: Exactly, yeah. yeah like I think of, for instance, they're, 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 and I, I can't remember the specific game, but I'm thinking of various strategic level World War II games where – you can put partisans in France, and they're just crappy little weak units uh, that that are almost like griefers or something for the the Germans and, and uh, right, uh, and that that tends to be based on some kind of hearts and minds model. And I can't remember the specific game. There's uh, well, there are t- t- there's actually- tons of games
2: like that with where you have where you have partisans in France. I think the bigger, I think the the French partisans weren't really that much of a military factor. Um, I think the much More significant partisans were in uh, Russia, right? uh, Yeah, yeah, and there are games where that's actually, but it's all very abstracted, right? I mean, you can cut a certain number of rail lines per turn, or something like that, right? Right. And if you use them properly, they can actually be hugely effective because you sort of you uh, isolate part of the front by placing your little partisan counters, and then the German can't reinforce those on that turn, and then you attack there. It's it's it can. In, in a lot of Eastern Front games, those are non-trivial units, whereas I think the, the, um, all, the all the French kind of partisan counters that I've ever seen in any war game really didn't really have much to do with anything. I mean, they were there for historical interest, but I don't think they really did much. Um, but uh, it's all very abstract, because as soon as you try to pin them down, I mean, they're very easy to destroy with uh, traditional war game mechanics, or what's worse is that, you know, if you want to make them really hard to kill... They end up sitting on the on the map, and you have all these you know Panzer divisions lined up around them. But because of some mechanic that you designed to keep them from getting wiped out, uh, you have them you know ring by um, you know ring by armor divisions, and you don't can't you know, whatever you can't you get some really really unlikely die roll to kill them. So they end up sitting there, and that sort of breaks your breaks your uh, you know suspension of disbelief or whatever, or breaks the verisimilitude of the game. And uh, I mean, I think it's the, one of the biggest problems with uh, just sort of um, asymmetrical warfare is that it is asymmetrical, and there's a certain amount of wargaming that that is kind of like a role playing game where you want to you want to take all of your tanks and have you know you want to see all the units that have the highest combat factors, and you kind of want to stack them up and attack things with them. And right. it's just it's just not really very interesting to have a whole bunch of low firepower units that compared to you know, other units in the game are really extremely weak, and then use them in some very specific stereotyped way to inflict damage on you know, enemy units, but then they go away, or then they can't be used for a certain amount of time, or they get destroyed in the, in the combat itself. Just the me- making the mechanics of that satisfying to the player is very difficult.
0: So, that's, Whereas, what, so that, that's what war is now, though, to some extent. I mean, you don't have wars now where you have large lines of tanks facing up against each other. The U.S. isn't buying, you know, F-22 fighter planes because we're not going to be using F-22 fighter planes.
2: Well, the U.S. And, isn't about buying F-22 fighter planes because they're idiots, but, I mean, whatever. Um, <laughs> I, so we don't want get to get off on that. Um, I, even, I don't know. I'm not sure. I mean, when... Uh, when the Russians finally annex Belarussia and invade Europe, uh, we'll start talking about this again. But uh, uh, I mean, I think there's a reason. I think you're right in that there's a reason that people keep making all these sort of uh, um, you know World War Three revisited new scenario games because that's the most interesting thing, right? I mean, right. and even in that that combat mission, uh, Strike Force is that, that's what it's called, Shock right? Shock Force. Shock Force. Combat kind of Mission Shock Force. Yeah. Uh, in that game, they have the whole, uh, you, know, Ula, you know, the uh, U.S. invaded Syria because they need to find a way to have people that have tanks be on the other side, right? Right. Even though those tanks aren't really that great. But the, the armor versus armor, I mean, that's the most interesting part of that kind of traditional war game. So I'm not really sure how you make it. I mean, Tom, do you remember when we played the uh, combat mission Shock Force, uh, Tom versus Bruce?
1: Uh, vaguely. Yeah, I mean, I, I blocked a lot of that game out of my memory. But yes, I, I remember it was a lot of... Didn't you have a bunch of APCs just sort of uh, playing bumper cars with each other?
2: Yeah, that was a complete... I mean, that was a nightmare because the, the game just didn't... The, the, the tactical AI was just completely broken. But... Yeah. I mean, you had a bunch of, like, lightly armed units that were hidden. My whole goal was to... Kind of drive through some town or, or something, and and you had to ambush me, do much much damage as possible, and then I had to sort of, you know, root you out of wherever you were hit, wherever you were hiding. Right. Um, but I can't imagine that that was very interesting for you once, um, once the initial ambush happened, because I remember you like you took all of your units and you sort of tried to tried to uh, uh, surround one of my squads, and then like on the next turn, all your guys were dead.
1: Yeah, it's a classic example of what you're talking about where it's all in the setup. Like, I I set up an ambush. I mean, that's sort of the nature of asymmetry there, is I set up the ambush, and then you play the game.
2: Right. And I I just don't know how interesting that is, and if that's that's how combat is going to be now, I think they should really, somebody should try to figure out a way to make war not be like that, so that war gamers still have something to do.
1: (laughs) But there's also, there are, uh, aside from asymmetrical warfare, there are considerations of like the Cold War. And there's been some very interesting things done with that. I I think we could all agree. Board games and computer games uh, Mm -hmm. like Twilight Struggle. There's that great scenario in um, uh, Rise of Nations. The the modern like Cold War campaign that they added in the Thrones and Patriots expansion. Uh, There's of course all kinds of cool Civ IV stuff. So there are other aspects of Modern Warfare that aren't quite so problematic that have been modeled a little better, uh, I think. But Twilight is not
2: even warfare.
1: Yeah, it's really a political... Uh, but it's got warfare. You've got, like, coup d'etats and whatnot. Yeah, but you're not, yeah, you're not, I, but you're not yes. managing the warfare. I mean, it's not like you are... You know what? There, but there is, there is. if I'm not mistaken, isn't there a little counter with a tank on it that represents the war growing hotter and hotter that you kind of have to manage? Well, oh,
2: that's, that's military. That just, that just, that just, that's sort of a saber-rattling counter.
1: Right. Okay. Yeah. What, there's, How there's many meals no, like, do you have? I thought there was some sort of like counter. Like, couldn't some of these little Cold War things? There's a DEFCON counter, but
2: anytime if you the person who sends DEFCON to one loses the game. Okay. Okay. So yeah, you can't. I mean, you can sort of, you can sort of, uh, uh, you know, brinkmanship, brinksmanship. Sorry, uh, can uh, can get sort of hotter and hotter, but then eventually if you actually start the war, you lose the game. So I don't think that really would count.
1: Well you know, I, I think of Chris Crawford's balance of power. That's the same kind Which of is thing a as well. Game, that by early. The way. But it's a it's an interesting reflection of the changing face of war. That's it's a
0: terrible game,
1: Bruce. I would agree with that. Huh
2: it's very it's I mean, a great is, idea. It's interesting. It just it's a terrible game.
1: Yeah, I just I the gameplay there was like a bunch of like I, I remember being very frustrated by that. That was the olden days of computer gaming, though. It was, uh,
2: and all sorts of completely bizarro, like completely implausible. St- I mean, you could invade. when I mean, you you could invade uh, uh, all sorts. Of, I mean, as the U.S. thing, you, you could invade Eastern Europe. You could, you could invade Romania. You could invade East Germany, and I mean, the the game could go on forever like that. Uh, without really effective uh, I mean it just the the, the the politics of the game were really broken I mean you had all these um, you could you could do this um, you could send sort of troops into places but not start a war uh, w- that were completely implausible it just the, the whole thing didn't work and it was this whole number on number right because there was yeah. no um, there were no graphics really which is like you know U.S. has one hundred thousand seventy-five troops in, you know, Poland. Soviet Union has you know three hundred thousand eighty-five troops in Poland, and then there would be no war or anything. It just—it was very strange.
1: Bruce, did you ever play something called or Troy? Actually, (laughs) uh, I want to say Shadow President. Yes, yes,
0: yes, one of the great, great games.
1: Which was sort of like this global simulator slash strategy game slash modern war kind of thing, I seem to recall. You know, it's it seems like, like
2: Cyber Judas or something like that.
1: Well, there was, Yeah, exactly. So it was Shadow President, and I think at some point it was re-released as Cyber Judas with more yeah. of a, a, sto- a storyline or something. I don't, I don't yeah. quite remember. And I remember one of the bullet points being that it was based on the CIA World Factbook. Uh, that it yeah, took which is completely Which uh, is irrelevant. ridiculous,
0: because a lot of, I mean, the superpower was based on the CIA World
1: Factbook. Superpower. Oh, oh that, you that, remember Superpower? Yeah, they do because it was like a ripoff of Shadow President, wasn't no, it? No, it was one of the worst. Nah, not really. Well, it
0: was one of the worst global simulations ever made. I mean, you control taxation and arts funding, and you control a country, and it's all data. I mean, the, glo- the CIA factbook is just you know populations and armed forces figures, and what kind of languages do they speak? I mean, it's not exactly top secret information here.
1: <laughs> that makes it does that it, does make it sound like it's some sort of special insider deal. Yeah, the yeah, CIA. Yeah. The great thing about that about uh, Shadow President
2: though was that the, the, one of the one of the premises was that you really were the president, right? So if you started doing crazy stuff, you ah, would get right. assassinated. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember that? Because I remember so many games where I would just do whatever. I would I, I usually in that game the first thing I would do was invade France, and. Uh, like within several turns, you would get the the three like bullet. Uh, it looked like you're like uh, glass on a on a limousine, like the bullet holes. Boom, 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 and you were dead. <laughs> and so, I mean, I thought that was what the 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 thing about that game was. You were sort of placed in the in the political constraints of a U.S. president, so you didn't want to do anything, you know, overtly crazy because then you'd lose all your support, right? So. You know, you had to you had to uh, achieve your you had to achieve your goals sort of much more indirectly, which is which was nice in theory, but I just don't think the whole system sort of held up. I mean, I played that I remember playing that game quite a bit, and there were all sorts of things that were broken in it. But then, it, I think it'd be really hard to make one of these games, these sort of global simulation games that really completely worked and and had all uh, all of the holes plugged, and still was you know interesting to play for gamers right. because gamers always expect things to be a little exaggerated.
1: Here's one that I remember, uh, and I don't know if I'm looking back at this with rose-colored lenses, but I remember this doing a good job of simulating the different... uh, not asymmetrical in the sense of asymmetrical warfare, but asymmetrical in the game design sense, the asymmetry of different sides in the Middle East. And I think it might have even been called War in the Middle East. And I believe it was an SSI game, and it might have even been based on a war game, We could, Israel, Saudi Arabia, Jordan, I mean, there were all the players, and uh, some, you, oh, even the U.S., I think, they somehow managed to get U.S. forces over there. Is this ringing any bells with you guys? I, I mean, mm-hmm. con-
0: conflict Middle East, but that, did, did very little military stuff, I'm trying to think what else. No, I think that's it. it. Didn't
1: you have, it was was the of, U.S. in look, conflict Middle East?
0: Not really, it was more of a political game, where you could, and the U, I mean, it was really a, sp- Easy game because it's the one that I'm thinking of. Because you know, Israel could invade Syria and own it uh, yeah, yeah. without any real uh, consequences.
1: But there was definitely a military aspect. Yes, to there it, was, and it was each side had different asymmetrical powers. Con- it wasn't just like this guy, these guys. I mean, you're not just playing different colors, and you all have the same toys, right?
0: Uh, yeah, conflict in East. Yeah, that, that was Norm Koger's game. Oh yeah, yeah, that must be right. Yep, yep, SSI, of course.
1: Yeah. Uh, so I remember things like that. Like I, 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 I like that quite a bit. But by the way, that's or, somebody I want to get on hmm? the show.
0: But we'll save that for another...
2: Norm Coger, okay. yes, good I point. I want to
0: get Norm Coger on the show. But. So if you're listening, Norm, call me. <laughs>
1: uh, what's Norm working on?
0: Uh, he's doing those naval simulations now.
1: Uh, Jutland was a <laughs> cool one he did. Yep. Didn't Norm Coger do a... Uh, and just a quick tangent... Didn't he do some awesome science fiction thing about, no, oh, for Pete's sake, where you had to, like, manage spaceships, and you had to move spare parts around to different planets, and uh, this, this, does this this is ring any bells for you guys?
0: This is one of the... It so doesn't, this, my doesn't, doesn't was, ring many bells, and that's not a Norm Colger I
1: want to know. I think it was him, though. So this is, as a guy who for the longest time had only an Apple II, I played everything that came out on the Apple II, and this was one of the rare games that you could play on the Apple II. And it was, I believe, if it, it wasn't Norm Coger, it was someone like him. Maybe it was Gary Grigsby. No, it must have been Norm Coger. It was some crazy science fiction thing. It was like War in the Pacific, but but science fiction. And I remember you had to send spare parts for your spaceships to manually move them around to your different planets or your spaceships would break down. Uh, so there you go. That has no bearing on modern warfare that I know of. I'm uh, trying to think, it anyway. I,
2: this, I, doesn't, it's not ringing any bells.
1: No. Well, when we have him on, I'm going to ask him about it, and it's going to be a Marshall McLuhan moment, like from Annie Hall, where I'm going to prove to you guys, Hey, Norm, I want to ask you about your science fiction game. Tell these guys stuff, and then he'll tell you. And there you go, and I'll be vindicated. It'll be awesome.
2: Oh, it'll be perfect. I can't wait for that to happen.
1: Uh, Troy, you're the host of the podcast. Get us back well, on track now that I'm I've tried. I'm trying
0: Talking about the Cold War has led me to think about, um, I mean, so many games in recent times have dealt with, you know, the Cold War going hot. And I think the the most common, the biggest recent example is a a World in Conflict, the Red Dawn type
1: thing uh, from last year or was it the year before? Oh, God, I had to even think what you were talking about. Yeah, now we're just talking about RTSs. But yes, It's an RTS,
0: which, you know, it's... There wasn't a whole lot of difference between the uh, Soviets and the Americans, but you know it's cold war gone hot, yada yada. And I'm going to think about uh, t- Tom Clancy uh, because have you read many of Tom Clancy's books? I mean, Bruce, you strike me as a Tom Clancy guy.
1: <laughs> Bruce, that, you strike me be- as a Tom Clancy guy. That's awesome. This <laughs> is that supposed to be an insult.
0: No, I'm, I'm, sh- I'm sure that you know uh, what's his name, Jack Ryan, is you know would be your, your kind of president.
1: Bruce strikes me as more of a Ken Follett kind of a guy.
0: Yeah, I can see that. But anyway, I was that came to mind because I was thinking about uh, <laughs> one of my earliest uh, big strategy game addictions was the naval simulator Harpoon. And I think yes. Harpoon still stands one of the best naval war games ever made.
2: It's written um, mostly by Larry
0: Bond. Right, written mostly by Larry Bond and adapted from his uh, board game. Correct. And as the series continued through Battleset over after Battle Set... They had to give the first one was uh, the Greenland, Iceland, UK naval area. Then they had the the North Atlantic convoys, then the Mediterranean, then the Indian Ocean, and if you read the conflict notes, how they justify setting up uh, these battles between uh, countries, they're clearly having a really hard time adjusting to the fact the Cold War is over. I mean, you have you know the CIS recrowning the Romanovs just so they can get an aircraft carrier attacking Canadian shipping. I mean, they have to find a way to do this. And I think this is one of the big problems uh, with a lot of the uh, post-Cold War, Cold War games, is they want to appeal to the presentist mind. They don't want to say, okay, let's pretend it's 1975 and the Soviets attack. They want to say, okay, no, it's, it's 2000 or it's uh, 1998 and the Soviets attack. There's this desire to rewrite the past into the present. And I think you still see this in, I, I think Tom's, I think Bruce is right, but the call, combat mission shock force desire to have these huge tank battles. I mean, that's, you know, rewriting the glory days of the past. It's putting Kursk in the desert when American air superiority would have made sure that never would have happened. And I forget what Battlefront's justification was for not having, you know, all the A-10s destroy serious tank forces. Did they have yeah. a backstory for that? um
2: i i you know what I have, to, I have to be perfectly honest that i've kind of uh sort of gave up on that whole thing combat mission shock force british forces module just came out yeah and i just have zero interest in 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 that whole thing it just it just seems like such a such an awful end to a, a series that was so so good um but uh by the way the, well i'll, I'll Oh, Remind me to bring something up about this at the end of the podcast because I really, really want to talk about it. But uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, there's a, there's a there's a, a, a desire to sort of find e- more and more crazy justifications for having you know uh, those kind of battles. But I mean, it's it's not harpoons not interesting if you have. You know, some U.S. task force trying to, you know, destroy Somali pirates.
0: Oh, absolutely!
1: Absolutely. You, you will, you will explode. <laughs> in I am coming for you. You will explode. See, this, this, in this is this is one of the. This,
2: this is a joke. This is a joke that nobody else in the world probably will get.
1: <laughs> I am coming for you. <laughs> I'm coming portal. Right.
2: Okay, I have I to. Okay, so Tom, now you have to explain what, what that's all about. That was one Everybody of the that, that, that was a, a long running Tom versus Bruce joke. That, uh, I think
1: that's famous. Everyone, that's what harpoon would look like today. If it's like the Call of Duty dudes made it, is it would be the uh, you, you know these Iranian speedboats buzzing U.S. warships, and uh, so this was from uh, there was some prankster who would use. Uh, I, I imagine he somehow got himself – actually, it wasn't like a military uh, wavelength, was it, Bruce? He was just like using a CB radio or something. It was some something prankster like who would basically prank call the airwaves uh, with terrorist threats. Right. And his, his prank, which is, you will explode in minutes, <laughs> uh, it, it coincided with some, I believe, some Iranian speedboats buzzing uh, a warship. And they freaked out, and to their credit, they didn't open fire. But they thought, you know, that these (laughs) these these speedboats were coming in, and they were broadcasting these threats (laughs) that they will explode in minutes. Uh, But everybody knows that. That's that's like that's our Gulf that could have been our Gulf of Tonkin, our incident there, right there. But so that was actually I I thought that was something you invented.
0: No, that that so we're saying is Dick Cheney was prank calling the U.S. Navy to get them to attack Iran. (laughs)
2: Uh, okay you're right yeah that was okay yeah i got this right because i think we got okay uh, right because i think we got on youtube i I, for some reason i thought for a second that you had that that whole thing started because you invented that but i guess (laughs) i wish
1: no i'm not nearly that clever Uh, (laughs) but yeah that's right there's a youtube video of the the radio call played over the footage of the the the, that they took from the deck of the warships of the speedboats So And that just sort of reinforces the ridiculousness of it. Uh, These Iranian dudes in speedboats just doing their little buzz buys. I mean, it was sort of their standard operating procedure. Uh, Troy, what you were saying uh, about how uh, we we sort of do look back fondly to the days of the Cold War when it could have been this really grand Russia versus U.S. conflict that didn't come true. So now, for instance, in World in Conflict, we have to imagine a Red Dawn scenario where they – they sort of retcon history. They do an alternative, alternate history right? <laughs> where, yes, the Soviets did invade us and now we're fighting them in Omaha. And isn't that exciting? Um, I, I, it's not a strategy game. It's not a war game. Well, it is it's a game a- about war. So, therefore, it's a... Well, no, the game that I'm going to mention. Okay. It's, it's not a strategy game and it's not a war game, but it is a game about war. Maybe it is a war game. But Call of Duty 4 uh, did a really clever, smart, Script. I mean, it's a very well-written game that threads together the history of the Cold War with the modern issues in the Middle East and contemporary warfare, the dehumanization of warfare, uh, the, the sort of CNN perspective on warfare as seen through uh, a YouTube video. Uh, they even bring in the specter of, of tactical nuclear weapons. Uh, that, I think, is a brilliantly told story that threads our nostalgia of war with our contemporary experience and perspective on war. Uh, So for anybody listening, if you're a strategy gamer and you're like, oh, I don't play those action games, I I heartily recommend Call of Duty 4. (laughs) Uh, It's a very well-written game about what war means. Do you have a
0: review of that up, up where I can link so people can check your opinion I actually
1: reviewed it, it on uh, Yahoo. I don't know if Yahoo keeps their... Uh, and on Yahoo, you can't get too brainy, so the Yahoo review is more like, Whoa, these explosions rock! Uh, it's actually not that bad. Uh, I did bring up what I thought were some salient points on Yahoo, but uh, I, I did review it for them. Uh, so, yeah, there will be a link at the bottom of this. I will look for a link, and I will
0: uh, point to it. Yeah. Um, a war game that I've been playing, I've been playing on and off, I just haven't had time for it because it's your typical, you know, mess from this developer. And it's gonna go, I'm gonna go way back in time. Um, and that is HPS's uh, Renaissance Warfare game. It's a, but a time when war is making this change. From, it's making this adjustment from, uh, pikes and horses to early gunpowder where you have Different ways of dealing with the troops. It's pre-modern. It's not quite up to the all the great fun stuff you get in the uh, Thirty Years' War, but it's you know it's a step forward from uh, the medieval conflicts. And one thing that a lot of I just said like, one thing that the game doesn't do all that well. And a lot of war games, these huge spans don't do that well. And I throw in uh, the operational art of war. Games in there, and I throw Age of Rifles, another Norm Koger game, in there. Is capture the changes on the battlefield? Capture how how are muskets different from rifles? What makes a World War One battle different from a World War Two battle? Are either of you operational art of war people? We are picking on Norm Koger again. Hey, <laughs>
2: yeah, you, you can pick up pick on him enough for Stellar Crusade. I don't think we want
0: to get into the. Uh,
1: That's the name, Stellar Crusade. Thank you. Very well yeah. done. Ah, someone. Um, someone has their so uh, so uh, I think there's a
2: game that actually does that really well I don't think I don't think operational War does a lot of things very well right um, but uh, the game that does what you're talking about really well I think maybe um, although it's a little it's later than than the, the Renaissance is um, the Dragoon series mm. and I think the Dragoon series is actually really 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 good uh, and I it took me a while to get sold on on the series, um, but I'm basically a big fan. But uh, I think that does a lot of stuff. I think the um, uh, can you
0: explain why you, why you think the Dragoon series captures the changes between period? Well, I just
2: think that that uh, it, the the sort
0: of because um, I'm not I'm sure many of our
2: potential activation I think is pretty much that what does it all and the different formations. I think that when you, when you uh, I mean, it's funny how the, the the interaction between the different formations and the sequential activation, the very limited command control that you have, kind of mimics the uh, the um, problems that you have in the ancient games, like the great battles of Alexander, right? Where uh, you have you know units that have very specific uh, tasks and abilities, and you have very limited ability. As a commander to to uh, employ them, um, and you sort of have to have everything sort of work together, uh, and you, any little little blip can really screw your plans up because you don't have very much chance to um you you can't just totally rearrange the battlefield, reshuffle your units, um, but you do have that firepower that if you can bring it to bear is very effective, so. Um, and I think that it would be very unrealistic to um, to sort of give people, oh, uh, well, people, give players the ability to just kind of move their units around and, and uh, uh, have as much command control as a, as, a, as a, your average wargamer expects. I think the, the the sort of limited sequential activation that's very dependent on the leaders right. uh, is is a really good uh, is a really good um, t- is a really good mechanic, and also really works. Uh, you can sort of do that where if you if you still give people a lot of units, but make their make the command control problems different. I think that you can still maintain people's interest. Interestingly enough, there was a game that uh, I didn't play enough of, or I actually never got a chance to play enough of, called Assault. Uh, it was a it was a game desi- game designers workshop, and it was released in like the mid eighties. Um, I think eighty like. 82 to 85 or so. Um, and they, they started off with the US versus the Russians, and then they sort of added the, the uh, there was a Bundeswehr module which added the Germans, and then there was a, uh, I think a Chieftain or Challenger module that added the British. Um, and as the Americans, you had all, you had sort of smaller units, but the ability to use them sort of independently. And the Russians had what was called Soviet doctrine. And you had a ton of units, but you had to use them in very formulaic ways. And if you didn't use your your Soviet doctrine kind of things, where all the units would sort of do these scripted attacks, if you tried to, tried to change those things, the, you totally lost control of the battlefield. The, the units just didn't respond, and you had much, much less control over what your units were doing. But you still had tanks, right? So I think that that kind of asymmetry works better because... Uh, you still have the ability to use all these these fancy toys. You just can't. You you don't get to. Uh, and you and you also have this this overwhelming advantage. Where I remember all the scenarios that we played would have you know this huge just stack upon stack of Soviet counters, and then you know the Americans would have uh, you know little isolated outposts of Abrams tanks. But then of course the you know the Abrams would just like torch everybody. Uh, so you'd lose all these Soviet units, and then you would sort of have to overwhelm it. It it was really. It was well done, and it never got – it didn't lose interest because, you know, you had the guys that had, you know, three AKs, and they had, you know, a U.S. armored division. So I think those – I think you can do asymmetry in that sense.
1: The problem with those, though, is I think once warfare changes dramatically enough, and certainly in the last, you know, century, it shifted enough that if you're trying to use the same basic system to capture – the differences in warfare, it, it you 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 hit a dead end, and I'm thinking specifically of what the empire series or the total war series has done. It, you know, they've gone through the uh, what are they up to the 18th century? How far does empire total war go? Yeah. But I mean, they they're going to hit a point where they're like, you know, using that model is not going to get them any further. They have to dramatically change it, right? Uh, and and it sounds, you know, I I think of paradox. They've used their same this same basic model from you know Rome to Hearts of Iron, uh, and there's a, there's a point where it, at what point are you not doing justice to what you're trying to model because you're trying to cram it into a a, a system that doesn't really fit it, uh, and that's the problem I think with games. Trying to address things like Vietnam and Iraq right now, this model of armies bumping into each other that's worked just fine up through World War II, no longer applies. Uh, it, you know, wh- where are these new systems going to come from for strategy gamers, or is everything going to be like harpoon pining for the Cold War? Uh, I think we are going to get
0: new systems. I'm mean, just not quite sure where they're going to come from or what they're going to look like. I mean, it's hard to you know see what the revolution
1: is right. going to be when you're in the middle of it. Uh, well, they're certainly well, not going to come from Battlefront. We know that much; that's mm-hmm. failed.
0: I'll, I'll give them. Uh, I'll give them a chance. I think they still might be able to figure it out.
1: Bruce, you were going to say well, something. Me, you said before we end to come back to Shock Force that you had something to yeah, say about it's a that. Yeah, that 50 minute. Well, I just,
2: I just was, I was really struck by. I got a thing in the in the mail the other day, and it told me the very interesting fact that for the longest time uh, there was you couldn't run. Uh, combat, the, the good combat missions, which are Barbarossa to Berlin and, uh, Africa Corps, uh, under Windows Vista. So now, they have very proudly announced that there's a new version 1.04 Vista upgrade for combat mission Barbarossa to Berlin. Right. Huh. And there's a new version 1.4 Vista upgrade for combat mission Africa Corps. This upgrade officially adds support for Windows Vista. But then it says, That it can be purchased for $5 as download only from the Battlefront.com store. So what it really is is it's a patch that gives you Vista support, but they're billing it as an upgrade that costs you money, which – I mean I don't necessarily have a lot of –
0: I mean it's not – Why do you hate capitalism?
2: Because here's why. Uh special thanks to this guy and I'll give him credit because it's right here in the press release, special thanks to Philip Colaton for diving into our ancient code to figure out and fix the various issues introduced with Vista. So if they're charging money for this, I hope to God they paid this guy. But from what I know about combat mission is that they have a they spent a lot of time getting like People to, to, to free mod their game and basically do all the textures for their, uh, for their, um, uh, uh, for, for whatever upgrades they had. They would, they, they basically of people to show off their, their modeling skills in exchange for getting credit in the game. So if this guy just went through and, and, and kind of fixed their game for free and now they're trying to pass it off as, uh, as a, uh, I guess I shouldn't be assuming. Maybe they did pay the guy, but for some reason, I just have a strong, strange feeling that they didn't. Now they're charging five. It's a five dollar download only thing. If they paid it, it, if they actually paid him a reasonable amount for this, then that's fine
1: with me. Yeah, I don't. I don't know how I feel about that though, because shouldn't at, at what point do they? Does it not behoove them to support that old game anymore? Uh, I agree. You know, but it, I mean, it Troy's totally the right. That they're I mean, paying. Yeah. It, I agree with you, Bruce. Certainly, if this guy—if they're going to thank this guy, I hope he's getting more than just thanks. Uh, exactly.
2: That's that. I guess that's the right. point. It, there's too much. There's too much of this. You know, oh, I, mean, I guess people let themselves do it. I mean, there's too much of this. Oh, I'm going to contribute all this free content for this thing. Uh, well, people just, want. Hate, people want to
0: be part of the games industry, and this is how they do it.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it's true. I just—it just seems to me that if you're going to break with the 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 tradition of of um, break with the tradition of and it's only five dollars I know I mean it's just completely irrelevant it's less than a freaking cup of coffee um, but uh, and it takes more than eight minutes to download probably but uh, if you're if you're gonna break with the tradition of supporting your game with patches to, to keep it able to run under you know modern operating systems then um if you're going to break with that and start charging money for the actual upgrade, then I would hope that you would do more than take advantage of some guy's, uh, uh, you know, efforts in, in di- is they quote, diving into our ancient code to figure out and fix the various issues introduced with Vista. More than just you know, special thanks, kind of, I hope they wrote that guy a
0: check.
1: There's plenty of ancient code that works with Vista. What, what's going? Isn't there? Like, I don't, can't you just, for instance, can I install StarCraft on a Vista machine and run it? Do you guys? Know? I have
0: no idea. I still use XP.
1: Yeah, okay. I do too. I do too. I mean, I have Vista on one computer here for, for whatever, but uh, I'm an XP guy. So the lesson here, don't upgrade to Vista. Ah, Is that? What, I
0: think that's a lesson learned.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so but, are there but, any other cool war games that model... Here's another question. You know what? Should I even ask this question? Ask I don't know. I'm just going to throw this out there. I'm going to just throw this out there. Uh, and I've gotten into sort of hot... No, nah, not hot water. I've gotten into little uh, internet spats before about this. Um, oh, boy. Not you. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> should should yes. we even be modeling stuff like the uh, invasion of Iraq? Is that something that has any business being modeled in a war game? Should I have even ask that, or is that just way too big of an issue? I think
2: it's a fair question. I mean, I, I think all, a lot of people would question whether you should be modeling the Battle of the Bulge. I mean, I I guess it's just, I, I mean, the idea of, of, of gaming, uh, of simulation gaming, these conflicts, you know, used to be a tiny little niche question, which really didn't matter because nobody really did it except a bunch of people that, you know, had x knives and cut... Cardboard chits out of counter sheets to play on cardboard map boards. Um, now it makes now now it's a bigger deal uh, because you can have video games that anybody can download and play. Uh,
0: well, that might be. It's like, I mean, this I might know, be I, a good topic for a future podcast. Do, are there on the, the untouchable topics uh, in strategy games? Because well, me say something, that. something.
1: Go ahead, oh, hi, Bruce.
2: Bruce. Well, the when. Um, when, uh, Talonsoft, uh, John, well, it wasn't Talonsoft anymore, I guess. Uh, when John Tiller did his, um, uh, his tactical games, his, the new tactical games he did that, uh, uh, modeled, uh, Vietnam and, um, what was it called? Vietnam, was it? Oh, what was that game called? He had, he had a couple of Vietnam games. Yeah. He had a Korea game and a Vietnam, and two
1: Vietnam games, I believe. I think it was now called I'm John Taylor's Tiller. Vietnam, and there was an exclamation point after Vietnam. <laughs> Is that it? it? It was almost something like that. Hold on. Um,
2: what, w- what were those games called? I can I can I can't remember. Troy could probably edit out this little pause while I uh, <laughs> just. Well, end up we don't going have to John Taylor's to- website and Googling this. But, uh, you know what?
1: If I can talk the, about Stellar Crusade without knowing what it's called, you can talk about the, John Tiller's Vietnam without knowing. Okay. what I mean,
0: no, 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 so not his squad battles games. Squad
2: battles. That's it, right? Squad battles, and they squad battles Vietnam. That's right. Okay. And
1: uh, so he makes this, and people were going too soon. Like, is that well, not
2: really what he did? Was he didn't want so the the squad battles have individual uh, unit names, and John Tiller uh, said that he left the unit names out of the game out of respect for families and the people okay. that fought there, which I think is reasonable. I don't have any problem with it, um, but you certainly don't have that in any World War II games, and I think at some point that won't be an issue for Vietnam games.
1: Right. Well, this is an issue that other genres have struggled with. I mean, strategy gaming, we're, we're small and esoteric enough that we're sort of late to catch up with a lot of these things. Uh, but this, this horrible thing that Konami dropped, this Six Days in Fallujah shooter, uh, you know one of their, their claims is that, hey, we worked with the soldiers, but we're going to respect... Uh, we're not going to put the names of real soldiers... We're going to name our soldiers, but we're going to give them fake names. We're not going to mm-hmm. put the names of the soldiers that died. In this game, uh, mm-hmm. so so that's you know that's not a strategy game. That's an action shooter thing that they're doing to cash in on the Battle of Fallujah to get publicity to help mm-hmm. secure a publisher. Um, so that's something that, that shooters deal with. Uh, I've raised before this idea that Red Faction: Guerrilla, a science fiction game, uh, is really this sort of veiled sim, not simulation, but this this sort of veiled analogy. Uh, for the invasion of Iraq you know they, it, you, you can't really miss that and uh, that's sort of an obvious thing but again that's a shooter that's mm-hmm. not a strategy game uh, right. so in a way it's kind of like other genres are kind of tackling the issue first for us and then however it gets resolved we can just ride their coattails and come in there
2: uh, that sounds like a good strategy that's, I so just, I go yeah, Br- Bruce way. have you
1: seen uh, have you seen Hurt Locker seen what? Uh, a, a movie called Hurt Locker, directed by Catherine Bigelow. The Gingalo. last movie
2: I saw was Confessions of a Shopaholic.
1: This has a lot of points in common with Hurt Locker, actually. Okay. They're very similar okay. in theme. Right. Uh, Hurt Locker is a, it's a movie about uh, a bomb disposal unit in Iraq. Uh, it's, it's a great movie. It's apolitical. I think you should see it This the same way that I think I've told you before. You should see Generation Kill. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm really happy to see movies... Tackling, you know, the invasion of Iraq uh, in very thoughtful ways. And yeah. I don't know when or if strategy games can do that, but when and if it happens, I, I look forward to
0: oh, it. This is a topic for right. a future podcast, but I think one problem is strategy games don't tackle these issues. They try to represent them historically accurately. They take this right. blind, as if history is simply uh, the numbers and the dates and the orders of battle or uh, special units and powers, and that's how they see themselves as representing it. They don't try to convey. I there's no meaning about World War One in a world in a strategy game. Now, whether, whether okay. they should do this is a separate issue altogether. I just I think I'd be all for a strategy game that you know tried to approach conflicts and wars with you know some sort of you know what are all these about. But strategy gamers and war gamers in particular have generally been resistant uh, to this type of. Um, Taking the war games out of the "Let Me Move My Tanks" box.
2: Well, that's the most interesting box for that for games, right? I mean, it's a game. That's the whole point. That's the thing people forget. You know, ooh, games aren't you know treating these these very complex you know uh, philosophical and emotional subjects properly. It's like because that's because you have to. It's a it's a game. You're trying to beat somebody doing something and I, I don't want to hear about the path or the flower or whatever that Thomas is about to play, come up
1: with because who knows what all that stuff is but and by there the are way no that's a separate in it, so i'm not interested that's, just, that's just, but, that by the way is a separate yes. issue like whether that's, or not that's, that's by, by tackle i could also use the word model tackle might have been too loaded of a term but right. i look yeah. forward to when and if strategy games will model more contemporary issues like the invasion of iraq uh, whether fine. or not and, they have a philosophical perspective on them is an entirely separate issue
2: But let's Uh, talk about a different thing for a second. When Troy brought up the whole idea of religion in The Sims, because Tom had that interview and uh, it kind of got blown off, and uh, people were saying, oh, you know, I, I understand why they didn't put it in, because it would just be too controversial and it would piss people off. Well, thanks, genius. No kidding. But the point is, you know, in movies, I think movies are now a mature enough medium that people make movies specifically just to piss people off, Right. And people will go see movies to, that piss people off, and you know, they people will see movies that piss the other side off, or whatever the heck. But I think that games still are in this place where any type of political criticism can be leveled against the game is just is is negative, and you don't want to ever take any sides. And the whole idea of making any statement is really kind of taboo still for. Uh, for games, which is in one way fine for me. I mean, I still just want to move the freaking tanks around and blow you up, but you know, if games are going to, as everybody wants to say, everybody, you know, I, you get these threads in quarter three, I used to get them all the time, now I guess people have gotten sick of it, but uh, you know, if games are going to mature and become more than just games, I'm not sure what they want them to be, and if they're, I mean, they're games, so they're going to stay games. I don't want them to be fruit or anything like that, but, um, what are they going to do with all these complex issues? And, uh, I guess the only thing games can really do is model them and just the, the, the act of modeling them. I think it would be, compl- I think it would be a giant, giant PR disaster for any game company that made a game where you were a bomb disposal squad. Because at some point, you know, you or guys would get killed and then it would be, you know, you'd have all the ramifications of that. Whereas the movie can do that and it, by portraying those people, uh, it's completely different from actually having game mechanics that control those
1: people. Bruce, uh, in 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 Call of Duty Four, did you know that the main character dies in a uh, a terrorist nuclear explosion? So
2: yes, I knew that. that. Actually, I I have discussed that extensively
1: with you. I think you're lying. You have not. I <laughs> dare you. So I
0: I. Hey, this is well, okay. a long conversation. We should probably uh, move. And <laughs> if Julian gets here, sure. for our second hour yeah. today, yeah. Right. I do want to talk before we go. Yeah. I want to I
2: want to make sure that um, that we uh, we talk about uh, some uh, a quote from a movie that uh, I don't know uh, if you can guess what this is, but I think it fits very well with uh, with our current uh, with our current theme and. Uh, Starts out, it says, um, you an American? Red-blooded. Oh, yeah? What's the capital of Texas? Austin. Wrong, commie. It's Houston.
1: That is from Confessions of a Shopaholic. That's exactly correct.
2: That's when they were in
1: sex. <laughs> what is that, Dr. Strange? I have no idea. That's First of all, it's not a very good quote because it's not that funny. I don't like that quote. Mm. Is it from... Okay. Uh, is it from Full Metal Jacket? No. Am I close? No. Well, it's not Dr. Strangelove, because Dr. Strangelove is way funnier than that. Yeah. Troy, what's your guess? I have no idea. We just talked about it. It's from Red Dawn. Oh, good lord. You're looking up Red Dawn? (laughs) Bruce, nobody remembers the actual movie Red Dawn. They remember the stupidity of the concept. It's like Point Break. Okay, it's not a real movie. Point Break, point break movie. is a great movie. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. okay. We need to okay. talk about Point Break okay. and Hudson Hawk together sometime. Okay, <laughs> Point Break, Point Break, the director went on to do Hurt Locker. So there you go. You now have to see Hurt Locker. The so director of Point Break, you just okay. fell into my trap.
2: Oh, okay, perfect. Okay, I'll see it. Is it on <laughs> DVD?
1: Uh, oh. Actually, no, and it probably won't be because I think it's going to be up for some Academy Awards. So... It'll get another, it's in a limited theatrical release. They'll probably roll it out again in December, and I'm guessing a DVD release next year. So, okay. That's my prediction.
0: So you know we've got to Kelly Wand on here to do movie reviews every week.
1: Don't joke about that. <laughs> we'll have a, movie, a strategy movie section. Oh, There's a, a sniper battle in, uh, in Hurt Locker that could be construed as like, it's very strategic. So there you go.
0: Strategically, mm-hmm. Valkyria Chronicles strategic?
1: You don't even know what that is. I know if I'll carry a Valeria PlayStation Conicters. 3 game, and you don't have a PlayStation 3. doesn't mean I don't
0: read about it. <laughs> I'm not a centurion, but I read about Romans. Um, so next week,
1: we're
2: going to all play A Little Big Planet, which I like very much, <laughs> and uh, talk about it, because it has a lot of strategy.
0: Uh, any words on our Dominion game?
1: Yeah, Bruce, actually, Tom going? Gonna kick
2: my ass in a freaking battle. What?
1: Yeah. How'd that happen? Yeah, I totally guessed I, I think I'm being, I I'm being set up for something. I don't like this. I yeah. wasn't real happy with that, because I was yeah. like, what's he doing? He's got something up his sleeve. Mm-hmm. So what happened? Yeah, we had a big battle, and I thought, well, Bruce knows this game real well. I'm going to... You know, I, I went somewhere. Bruce was going to... You know, my turn comes in, oh, there's been a battle in blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, great, I'm going to watch this. It's me getting my ass kicked. I click on it, and Bruce has cleverly somehow foiled my expectations. He's doing something. He's up to something there. I don't know what, but I suspect it went exactly like he planned, and I'm falling for some kind of shenanigans that he's doing. That's,
0: yeah, I don't, so I don't like So do you have that. any screenshots of the battle we can share?
2: I'll, I'll see if I can grab some. Yeah, it was. I mean, it's all all uh, all credit to Tom. He's uh, he is exploiting. So I have to say, I, I really really wish I had time to put up this uh, this uh, this thing about how I thought about the game and what I how I started it out because uh, I think it would be really uh, really illustrative of, of or this battle would be illustrative of the difference in strategies and how because uh, what I, what I really did with my and this is not an excuse at all because Tom I just want to point out how how much the game can change based on decisions you make. I, I built my Pretender and did my whole creation of this nation from the perspective of somebody playing on a much longer game on a much larger map. And I did that simply because that's more interesting to me. I mean, there were, there were a couple things I could have done uh, to play on a smaller map that would have been sort of more, you know, break the game kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just kind of don't like that. I just kind of like I love Dominion so much because, partly because it gives you so much room to play, uh, without having to do a lot of um, you know specific min-maxing, and uh, so I just built a I built a pretender that basically would, would work very well on a map that was much larger and gave me a lot more space to expand. We're battling a lot earlier than I think I would normally would like, and Tom actually has a nation that works very well against mine, so uh, we're going to see what the what the ramifications are. It could be ugly for me. But uh, you know, I'm still enjoying it. I, I just I love the game so much. Uh, I hope that anybody who's who like strategy games and is listening to the podcast and doesn't yet have the game would. uh, uh So try what, is it
0: Van- what is it about yeah. the what is it about the Vanheim Gath matchup that
1: you think uh, works? So it's my giants. The fact that I have giants.
2: Well, the thing is, what one thing that Tom uses is he he spent a lot of money, a lot of money, and he spent like. I don't know, close to a thousand gold, I think, on elephants in a in a uh, province that. Uh, How do
1: you know that? You can't tell captured.
2: that. I know elephants what? cost one hundred and twenty gold each, and I think you had something like seven or eight of them.
1: Well, you're not uh, supposed to be doing math in this game. I'm not comfortable with that. That's akin to cheating.
2: So I mean, he poured a lot of money into those elephants. So uh, so that's his little that's his little deal now. I mean, that's where his money is gone. He can't have spent a lot of money on other stuff. Um, so we're just gonna see, see how this goes, but, uh, the thing about, the thing about Vanheim is Vanheim is extremely high defense, and the thing about Hinnom is that it's, their units have very high strength, but defense beats strength any, any time, because, uh, if you have high defense, you don't get hit, and strength only comes into effect after you get right. hit, so you, uh, his glamour units uh who those are surprised rigid. me
1: those Pardon? glamour units Th- those glamour, glamour units. units are
2: great glamour units oh. are, that is a great nation for a game like this because there are a whole bunch of things you can do to those units especially with uh with the uh, area effect spells but you're not going to get to those in a game this short and on a map this small so i mean i'm going to have some i'm going to have some issues with uh, dealing with your dudes but uh you know that's that just shows you once again how you have to really be attuned to the nation you're playing against and sort of the, the conditions of the map because uh, um, you know I'm I'm now uh, relegated to fighting you with uh, uh, sort of secondary and tertiary strategies until I until I can do something else about that. For example, archers are, are reasonably decent against that uh, against high defense units because. Um, uh, missile combat doesn't take defense into account. So, if you can just if you can hit one of these glamour units, then it takes away their mirror image, because uh, you know which you know the the backstory is that you know which one you hit, so you know which one the real <laughs> image is, uh, and uh, so that t- that gets rid of their uh, mirror image, but they still have very, they still have reasonable defense. So it's going to be it's going to be an interesting it's going to be an interesting one, and uh, you and Julian should uh, uh, Troy should take advantage of this. Uh, attacking yeah, uh, I'm
0: gonna, be mix, I'm gonna be mixing yeah. it up with somebody soon I'm not quite sure whom I have quite a few armies on the roll and some mercenaries um, if my bid is accepted there but go. uh, I've got to you know get a little more gold going I raised my taxes in a few provinces um, so hopefully I'll have enough money to build some fortifications in some of my more valuable places uh, in case Jillian gets any crazy ideas hmm. but okay well, we'll see how that goes. I know.
2: I don't know. Since Tom has been, Tom has been, uh, been kind of on my case here a little bit. I just want to throw out another uh, Red Dawn quote <laughs> that asks, uh, "Well, who is on our side?" Six hundred million screaming Chinamen. Last I heard, there were a billion screaming Chinamen.
1: There were. Uh, I don't think Chinamen is the preferred nomenclature. Dude, this is
2: 1984. It's very historically accurate.
1: Uh, All right. Any last last words, guys? Yeah, so this week's viewing assignment, Red Dawn. I expect full reports next week. I have a copy of it. I watch it, like, every couple months. There are very few people about whom I would believe that. You are one of them. Good.
0: (laughs) Sad, sad man. Um... Next week's podcast, we will maybe we'll get around our modding episode. I'm not quite sure. I received some emails and private messages, both in the quarter to three boards and in my email box asking, hey, what happened to the modding episode you're supposed to do with Soren? I promise you all, it is coming. It is a topic we are interested in. Be patient, my little ones. You'll get your wish. Say goodbye,
1: all. Good night, everyone. Search of a brain search on the great one. Wait today funny man, it's urgent, I need one. Two boxes of detergent and the paint gun and an-